Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my Living the Sky Life Facebook page or Instagram account. And let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. Thanks again for tuning in for season two of Living the Sky Life. If I were asked to describe today's podcast guest in two words, I would say resilient and inspirational. I am thrilled to have connected with Jess Ronnie. Um, besides the fact that we are both Michiganders, we have uh, quite a few things in common as far as our outlook on life and the way that we parent. Um, so I'm really excited to present my conversation with Jess. She is an author of the phenomenal book, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. She is also a speaker and a new podcast host of Coffee with Caregivers. She's, in addition to that, is a documentary producer and advocate for all caregivers. She is the founder and executive director of The Lucas Project, which is a nonprofit dedicated to providing recognition, resources, and respite for special needs families. She and her husband, Ryan, live in Tennessee with their eight children, yes, I said eight, including their son, Lucas, who has profound special needs. Her story of beauty from ashes has been shared on the Today Show, Daily Mail, and Huffington Post, and is detailed in the memoir that I mentioned, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. So please enjoy my conversation with Jess Ronnie. So today's episode of the podcast is part of my um, author series. Um, I'm profiling special needs moms who have um, authored books, and my guest today is Jess Ronnie. So welcome to the podcast, Jess. Hi, Lori. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, wow. So there's a lot to dive into. Um, I just kind of want to get started since we were talking about or I'm talking about authors who have kind of written their stories and their life, <laughs> their life work um, recently. Um, I want to kind of dive right into your book and start there and then maybe backtrack into um, some of the details about the book. So you know, what made you decide to put your life out on paper and write a memoir of all of the things that you've experienced? Well, honestly, I have known from a very young age, probably seven or eight years old, that I wanted to be a writer. Uh, however, when I was seven or eight years old, I was writing fiction stories about Missy May, <laughs> a fictional character, and really had no idea that I would one day be writing about my life. So writing's always been extremely important to me, journaling and words and poetry and, you know, everything having to do with words. I, my degree is in English as well and, um, and in education with an English background. So I, I, didn't under, I didn't know that I would eventually end up writing memoir and um, my life circumstances just unfolded in such a way where that's what made sense. And when I was pregnant with Lucas, just began to journal through that whole pregnancy journey. And, you know, eventually um, with all of the tragedies surrounding life with my husband, Jason, and our kids and everything, it just morphed into a book. And that's, that's just how it came to be. Yeah. Did you ever, through the writing process, did you ever feel and kind of just get that light bulb moment like, 
Well, I think this is some of the tragedies and some of the things that I've gone through. It was to write this for other people. There, there's a reason that I've experienced a lot of these things and it is to put it out there so that my story can be impactful and help at least one other family that might be going through something similar. Oh, absolutely. I am a huge believer in, in using our stories to better the world. And I'm a huge believer in faithful obedience leads to blessing. And, you know, when you're in the middle of so much pain and heartache, you don't necessarily see that or understand that. And there's a lot of anger, but then post, you know, post life after all of that pain and tragedy, I absolutely see God's hand through all of it and understand that my job as a believer is to share my story. And it's not even um, like for my blessing so much. I believe that there's such a grander, bigger story that we're all living in. And God's mm -hmm. not even so concerned with like our individual stories, but it's all this big, grander story to bring glory to him ultimately is what we're here on earth for. Yeah, and I, I agree and I believe in that so much. And I, that's why I struggle right now with everything that's going on in the world. And it seems like there's so much anger and so much hatred and just people are just not kind to one another. And I, I really have tried all these years to, tr to uncover a silver lining or even to COVID and, you know, just being stuck home. And it's so easy to get uh, just completely buried in your feelings about, um, you know, just how it's unfair and this, this stinks and our, this was canceled and this was canceled and all of that. And I'm, I'm trying to at least hang on to, well, I get to see my daughter so much more because she's at home doing school. Um, you know, we get to at least bond as a family over dinner. We're not running around trying to get to the next activity or whatever. So I know that's not everybody's perspective, but I just kind of think about what what's God's purpose and making all everyone so, you know, just combative with each other. I hope there's right. a bigger, bigger silver lining in this whole mess. Yeah, I totally agree. And as a special needs caregiver, I, our life didn't change that much. <laughs> and that's what, yeah. that's sort of this resounding theme that I'm hearing from special needs parents. It's like the rest of the world is now kind of understanding how we live normally. Uh -huh. um, we often feel very exhausted and isolated and trapped because our circumstances make it difficult to participate in a lot of, you know, the things that are out there. So our life did, didn't change that much, which it's, it's kind of a blessing, I suppose, and that we didn't have to shift as drastically as so many other people did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think the challenge for us was only when he, uh, my son that's 17 on the spectrum, that when he, his uh, ABA program was canceled for, um, I think we only had to survive that. So I'm in no way complaining um, for like five to six weeks. And then he was back, but that was the longest five weeks of oh, yeah. our lives. <laughs> oh yeah. Four months with Lucas. Yeah. Medication saved my life and his life during that period for sure. <laughs> Um, something we never explored before quarantine. And then it was like, either I'm going to end up in a psych ward or he's going to end up in a psych ward. But, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's been time. a game changer. It has been a complete game changer. So, you know, there is a silver lining in, in all of that as well. Yeah. So um, you, you brought up Lucas and now do you, do you call him Luke or Lucas? I think it was referenced a couple different ways on some of your both. Yeah. yeah, both. I know. Okay. And I just want to make sure I didn't say it incorrectly, but um. 
So can you talk a little bit about his initial diagnosis? Um, in your book goes into great detail. And, and if you haven't read it, everyone listening, you should. It is very, very good. Um, you talk a little bit about all the process um, during your pregnancy, but what was he actually diagnosed with? I remember hydrocephalitis came up in your writing, um, but I didn't know if that was the actual diagnosis or... Well, at my 20-week ultrasound appointment for him, I went to what I thought would just be a routine appointment. And I was told that my baby had suffered a stroke in utero and there was no hope. And it was suggested that I terminate and try again. The doctor said, you're young and healthy. You won't have any problems getting pregnant. And these babies never make it. And I went home to my husband, Jason, at the time and shared the news. And we just decided to put our faith in God and allow God to have his will with his child. Lucas was born on August 12, 2004, and he was lifted out of my belly and just screaming with life. And I wept in relief because my baby was alive and had no idea really what that was going to look like moving forward. Two weeks later, after brain surgery, um, he was discharged. He was thriving and, you know, doing well. And Jason and I looked at each other like, wow, that's a big leap to go from this baby will never live to here's your baby, <laughs> be on your merry way. <laughs> um, and all we were told at that point was he will have profound special needs. It's just a very huge blanket statement. And profound I can honestly say, like, I didn't, I grieved through my whole pregnancy. And by the time I was handed a live baby, was so ecstatic over the fact that my baby was alive, that there wasn't like a grieving period after that, um, I just accepted that Lucas was Lucas and we would just take whatever came with him at that point. So moving through life, um, fast forward to his teenage years and we're now living in rural Tennessee and a teacher nonchalantly says to me something about his autism tendencies. And I looked at her and I said, Lucas doesn't have autism. And she said, yeah, he does. And I was like, he's never been diagnosed with autism. Never like even crossed my mind that I had a child who was on the spectrum. I just, Lucas has profound special needs. You know, he's incontinent. He has limited mobility. He's nonverbal. He needs a sense in every aspect of his life. But nobody had ever said autism. I went home that day and Googled autism and was like, oh my gosh, my kid is like full blown on the spectrum, <laughs> like full blown. Okay. So part of me is actually happy that I never slapped that label on him um, because he's always just been Luke. It wasn't right. like, and maybe having had that label earlier in life, that diagnosis, we could have pursued some additional things for him, but I felt like we always sort of had that blanket statement of profound special needs. And under that was like nonverbal and, you know, a lot of the things that you see on the spectrum. So we were still pursuing those. It just wasn't like this label attached to him. So I think now I'm trying to, does that cover your question or? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, it okay. wouldn't have changed how you did the therapies. I mean, like you said, you'd kind of treated each individual um, symptom or issue that was happening with him. So having the label wouldn't have done anything else, um, you know, to, to get him anything other than maybe ABA or something that requires, I think, an autism diagnosis to get some of those things. But 
sounds like you were doing everything anyway. Yeah, and I don't, I didn't even grieve the autism. Um, it was just, oh, okay, well now that gives us kind of a, a starting point moving mm -hmm. forward. I think a lot of my grief has come as he's going through puberty and the aggression is rising significantly yes. and he's getting stronger and I'm looking at my dreams for my little boy and going, okay, now he's a 16 year old man child and this, you know, idea that I had that he would live with me forever and I would take care of him and everything would be, you know, beautiful and lovely. And I'm grieving this new thought process of, okay, so he's 16 and moving forward. I don't know that I want to take care of him forever. And is it okay to even say that? And would his best life be living in my basement watching Veggie Tales? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So it's wrapping my mind around what the future is going to look like. And I think that's what I'm grieving right now as his mom. Yeah. I mean, I can completely relate. Uh, my son Skylar is 17 and um, also incontinent and also nonverbal. Um, and those are some of the things, you know, it's, it's always a struggle. The many families that I talk to um, and, and you probably do as well on, on your podcast and, and throughout your book and um, meeting people. It, it's so hard because everyone's challenges are different. Um, we all have them, but they're just a little bit different. So when families are talking about, you know, not be, not able to find the right job fit for their child um, that's in a young adult on the spectrum, you know, while that's a horrible problem that they have to deal with in their family, I kind of think to myself like, gosh, it would be nice to even be able to have that discussion of Skylar having a job. He'll never, ever have a job or do anything. I mean, I can pretty much say that with a certainty. We're trying to get him to spell and, and communicate now, but even that is not going to, I mean, he's already 17. I just right. don't think we're going to make up his lifelong ground to be able to have right. him work somewhere. So, and there are some things that you just make peace with. I think mm -hmm. for us, we've been asked, you know, are you, are you ever going to try to potty train Luke? And it's like, I don't think so. I don't think that's top on my list at this point when he's 16 years old. I think communication is a higher priority. Right. And if I'm going to exert a lot of energy into something, I don't know that diapers are on my list. And, you know, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's Luke will never have a job either. I can say that with a hundred percent certainty. Um, well, maybe I shouldn't say, with, I can say with 99.9% .9 certainty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that Lucas probably will not ever be employed. So it yeah. is, it's reframing your dreams for your child and for yourself and what that looks like. How do your, um, so I know in your family now, there are eight children um, with your, your new marriage. Well, it's not new. It's what, 10, 11 10 years, years old? <laughs> yep, 10 years. Um, but um, your conjoined family um, now, and then, uh, so you have eight children total, right? Um, yep. And how, how did um, Ryan's children um, mesh with Lucas kind of initially? Did they, cause did they have any experience with a special needs sibling or child or any of that um, prior to becoming a, a big whole family? <laughs> no, they didn't. Um, and honestly, we did not have any issues at all. That's Our kids so awesome. were all so young. They were all under seven years old when we got married. I didn't realize I, that. <laughs> yeah, they were little. So I think that was 
um, a huge positive aspect of us getting married so quickly was that they were also young. So Lucas has always just been their brother. Yeah. And to be completely honest, my adopted kids are probably much more merciful and graceful with him <laughs> than Luke's biological siblings are. Yeah. <laughs> they get really annoyed very quickly, whereas the adopted kids have extend a lot more grace towards him and try to get to the bottom of what his issue is. Um, so no, we didn't. We didn't have any issues at all. Um, and honestly, most of the kids have all just gelled beautifully. And I, I equate that with how young they were, really. They just have all been a family for 10 years now. Yeah, and with your, your biological kiddos, they, um, I mean, other than your oldest son, that's all they've ever known because, you know, right. um, Lucas was their older brother. So, um you know, your older son, what's his name again? Can you remind me? Caleb. Caleb. I want to say yep. Charlie. I don't know why. Yep, um, Caleb. So how, how old is he now? He will be 18 in November. Okay. There, that's right. There's two years difference between them. So has he always kind of taken on a, a little bit of a fatherly role and a caregiver role to Lucas or <laughs> no. <just> the opposite? <laughs> no, he's the one who's probably the most annoyed with his brother. <laughs> That's Luke, stop <laughs> screaming. I'll be like, Caleb, just try to get to the bottom of what, what he's trying to communicate. Oh, Lucas. It's Aww. like, just no, he has no patience for him. And in fact, has said that he doesn't even think he wants children because he <laughs> says that. Just, I'm like, he's just not very patient. <laughs> yeah. And he, he might grow out of it, but no, not his strong suit. So is he looking at colleges and, and doing that kind of stuff now or? He is. I took him out a couple of days ago and we looked at a few campuses and he's filling out all the forms and it's kind of crazy. Gosh, that's a whole nother realm of life to get into. Yep. yep, it is one more layer and we have two of them graduating this year. So trying to help them land somewhere, um, preferably in a dorm room somewhere. Yes. They, oh. You know, they, they should be Spartans, right? At least Caleb should be. <laughs> Michigan? Yes. <laughs> we've, yeah, we've suggested it. And he's, he still has a heart for Michigan, too. So he might end up there at some point. That'd be sweet. Um, well, you know, you talk a lot in your book um, throughout the entire book. And, and I know that you're deeply rooted in faith. And, you know, I, I was mentioning to you before, you know, one of the chapters in my book is about just kind of the spiritual journey that, I'm sure a lot of families go through and a lot of parents when their child is diagnosed with a type of special needs, whether it's autism or something else. And um, I'm sure there's the stages of mourning and anger and all of that that goes into it. And I certainly went through it and I was very, I, I mean, I almost want to say anti God, anti just anything spiritually related that anyone would say to me, I was very upset and I felt like I was being punished with a child with a significant special need because I didn't understand why this was happening to me. And I, I took it just as I said, as a punishment, um, you were so good at just always, even if you went into that place and that mindset for a short time, you brought yourself back very quickly. How were you able to do that? I mean, is, is there a certain mindset that you're in or just it's been your upbringing and you were able to cling to that? Um, I don't know 
I think what I put in the book, you know, were just short periods that I was going through where in reality it was like an extended wrestling. Mm -hmm. And there I've never felt more in tune with my faith than during that pregnancy with Lucas. And I often say I literally felt like I was walking hand in hand with the shepherd um, through those months. And so I think when you allow yourself that close communication with Jesus and you truly stay by his side, even as you're wrestling with certain aspects of things, if the shepherd is truly by your side, he's going to get you back on the path of peace pretty quickly. And I just completely immersed myself in the word and in praise and worship music. And um, I do remember a time though, when I was really raging about the whole situation and my older aunt who had just gotten married, I believe she was 42 years old. And I, at the time was, 26 I believe when I was pregnant with Lucas and this older aunt was also pregnant in the same time frame as I was pregnant with Lucas and our babies were actually born a few weeks apart and I remember thinking how unfair that was that this 42 year old woman was giving birth to a completely normal typical child and here me like the 26 year old had this terminal baby that I was walking around with. And that was like a really intense period of wrestling with the unfairness of how I viewed that situation. Um, just, you know, as an older woman, your chances of a completely healthy baby are so much less likely and just really having to come to a peace and an understanding at the end of it all that God was God and he knew what he was doing. And I don't know. I think you're giving me too much credit in that statement. <laughs> I, think I, that. I don't think so. I think after anyone reads your book, they will give you the same credit that I am. I mean, you've just been through a lot and a lot of things that would completely rattle someone to their core, you know, even more than just having a, a diagnosis of, you know, a pretty profound special need of one of your children and then to, you know, to lose your spouse in the way that you did and still being able to, you know, hold tight and strong for your kids and for yourself, um, you know, being spiritually grounded. I'm sure there were moments of breakthrough frustration and anger with all of that, but just the attitude that you have um, and portrayed through the book, it, it was just very, um, just inspirational to, to me at least, and I'm sure to many others that, that read it, it would just be so easy to go completely left and stay there in that place of negativity, and you, know, and, you know, depression. What, what maybe, what maybe it can be attributed to is honesty. I've always been very, very honest. And whether that's anger that I'm experiencing or sadness or joy, or I try to live my life fully in whatever I'm feeling. And maybe there's some freedom in that because as you're talking about it, I'm thinking of so many people who are going through horrific things and caregivers even. And you know some of the struggles of caregiving just like I do. And when asked how they're doing, it's always this pat answer of, I'm fine, everything's fine, I don't need help. And I don't ever go there. I'm 
extremely honest in what I'm dealing with and people can accept it or not accept it. And I think that's how my relationship is with, with the Lord as well is it's based on honesty. And then I think you can work through some of that stuff and come to a peace. But if you're not honest with yourself and with others and with your savior, there's no way you can end up at that place of peace. If that makes sense. Complete sense. You know, in your um, reference about your aunt, you know, um, I, I, <laughs> I kind of had a similar thought early on when Skylar was diagnosed, but it was the kind of the opposite direction. I just kept, kept thinking to myself, all of the um, teen moms, I think that show was even on TV and it was glorifying. I, I felt like it was kind of glorifying teen moms. Um, but all of these teenagers having these babies that they didn't prepare for, didn't get care, you know, during their pregnancies and all of these things. And they have these healthy children. And here I'm married and I'm doing everything the right way, um, you know, of having a child in my 30s and all of that stuff. And I was prepared and I was angry that the teenagers were having healthy children and I wasn't. Um, but then I thought about it, like you said, I, I feel like I was the better choice to be given a child like Skylar to take care of because a 16 year old would have no means and no maturity to be able to handle all of the things that we go through as special needs parents. So you know, by him, by acknowledging that he made the choice of the better person to take care of Skylar, it, it gave me a little bit of peace to know that he wouldn't be, he wasn't given to a teenager who would have just plopped him in a chair in the basement watching Elmo all day. Right. Um, they didn't know what to do with him, where I have the financial means and the maturity to be able to get him the therapy that he needs to take care of him and love him unconditionally, if that makes any sense. So I kind of yeah, thought Absolutely. as you. But, and I um, think when you live your life too in with like a higher purpose in mind, like this isn't it and everything is for a higher purpose, it, it allows you to sort of wrap your mind around it a little bit easier as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that all of our children are vessels in some way that we're learning something and they're all giving back to society in, in one way or another. And, you know, maybe our special needs children, they're their purpose and their journey is to teach others kindness and inclusion and all of those things that um, ordinarily we wouldn't really be privy to. So maybe, maybe that's it. I don't know. Oh yeah. It cracks <laughs> me up that Luke's life has touched more people than like any of our, any of the typical family members in my family's lives ever will. And Luke <laughs> has no pride. Like he doesn't care. And like people, yeah people are drawn to like the hope that Lucas Ronnie represents. And I just love it because he, if, if he becomes like a worldwide celebrity, he won't even care. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's awesome that God would use somebody like, like that, who doesn't care at all. He's like the most humble, least of these types of human being. And that's exactly, I think what God's looking for, just vessels to use. Yeah. I agree. It's funny. Uh, Skylar's on the cover of my book and he'll see it lying around, you know, the copies of the book or whatever. And he'll look at it and he'll sometimes he'll point at the cover and I'm like, yeah, that's you. <laughs> You're famous. Really? <laughs> kind of goes about his way. <laughs> right. See, Luke, Luke wouldn't even recognize that it was him if he saw a picture of himself. <laughs> like he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even care. <laughs> like he'd be yeah. like, Elmo, Barney, VeggieTales. Like give me VeggieTales. I don't care about my own picture. Uh, 
That's funny. I haven't heard Veggie Tales in so long. That's funny. It just brought back oh. the crazy memories for me. Oh, <laughs> I forgot you hear about it, it every single day <laughs> <laughs> on repeat. Uh, well, you know, knowing that uh, just part of our conversation too of with our children being vessels and and just trying to spread the message and the word about all of um, you know just these special needs families in the world and how much amazing parenting um, <laughs> they are all doing. I know you recently started a podcast as well um, called Coffee with Caregivers. So can we talk a little bit about that and your purpose for, for starting that? Sure. Um, this was an idea that I've had for years and just kept thinking, I don't have time for this. I have eight children. <laughs> I have a nonprofit. I'm writing a book. And it just kept nagging at me. And then over quarantine <laughs> with eight children <laughs> and a book deadline, I thought, now's the time. And, I, you know, it, it is busy in our house and it was busy, but like when you're home all day, you know, in your home too, you do have a lot of time on your hands. So um, during the kids screen time, I would hole up in my closet and work on it and interview guests. And the, the point of the podcast or the focus of the podcast is to really peel back the curtain and get a peek into the lives of special needs caregivers. And I think to start a dialogue about what our lives really look like, which in turn, hopefully, God willing, will lead to more resources at the national level, at the state level, at the community level, because it is my firm belief that if our stories honestly and truthfully, people don't know, so they can't help. And I really believe people do want to help, but they're not going to help if they don't know that there's a need. So I'm hopeful that this podcast can just start to bring awareness to the different struggles and joys and trials that we go through as caregivers. And it's my ultimate desire that like the general public will listen to these stories um, mm -hmm. and just start to get some recognition into what our lives are all about. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Do you have... Um in addition to parents, do you have um, other types of caregivers as guests or is it a lot of family members? It's special needs caregivers is okay. where the focus is. Awesome. I mean, there's never enough resources in my opinion. I think, I mean, I'm just so grateful of all the podcasts, of all of the Facebook pages and groups and blogs and everything that there is now because I mean, when our kids were diagnosed with anything uh, 16, 17 years ago, there was nothing. There was just, just shy of Google, um, and that was just kind of getting going. There was nothing for us as parents to reach out to other parents and say, your child's in pull-ups too? Okay, well, right. <laughs> what, what do we do? Or where do we get pull-ups the size that'll fit them? And just anything at all. Um, so that's been, that's been awesome to be able to, to meet people like you and and all of that through the, through these um, communication means. So kudos yeah. to you for starting that podcast. We need it. <laughs> well, thank you. A perk of social media. And I think too, we as caregivers need to start to shift the dialogue from being like a hundred percent. I'm so blessed to have this child, which yes, there is blessing. Absolutely. 100%. But there's also a flip side and we need to start talking about you know, the darker side and the, the mental health struggles and the stress and the exhaustion and the isolation that often can accompany caregiving because we do, we desperately need those resources. Yes, we do. Um, 
you know, I guess just to kind of tie everything together that we've talked about with the book and the podcast and just your life in general um, and just the twists and turns that it's taken um, throughout <laughs> most of your adulthood. Um, right. <laughs> you know, there was a, a post that you put on Facebook that I just absolutely loved. And, you know, really the gist of the post was just talking about, you know, just holding on no matter the twists and the turns that your life takes and that you have no idea what's coming and what's in store for you. Um, you know, I, I think your story of meeting Ryan and, um, you know, the blending of your families and the loss that you both have suffered and just all of those things as a true testament to, I feel like divine intervention. And um, I keep going back to that because I feel like if you just, <laughs> it's as simple as letting go and letting God in your life. And um, I, I think it brings so many more things that you can view as blessings, um, if you will, to your life. I, I am a huge believer in divine intervention. I know that that's how my husband, my second husband was brought to me into Skylar's life um, and became Skylar's dad and just all of those things. So um, is there anything that you would kind of say to anyone who is really feeling like they are at the bottom of, they've hit rock bottom and they just don't know that they can carry on and, and they're so stressed out either in their marriage or taking care of their special needs child or children and they're just about to give up? I think I would first say breathe, exhale. I think when <laughs> in, the, in my past, when I've been in situations like that, you start to realize how tightly wound your entire body is and your whole body is aching and it's because part of it is you've been holding your breath for so long. So if at all possible, find a quiet place and just breathe for a few minutes. And secondly, try not to look too far into the future. I know that can be difficult, um, especially as caregivers, the worry over the future and resources and everything, but to just really take it moment by moment and step by step and understand that um, all, your only job in life is to make it through this next 30 minutes and then another 30 minutes and then another hour. And in correlation with that self-care as caregivers, we're so horrible at prioritizing ourselves. And it's what I, I speak about to caregivers all the time. You have to find something that will fuel your soul because, and you need to then prioritize it in your life. And if that means, you know, getting out your planner and marking it in daily or weekly, whatever that is, it can be, you know, 20 minutes of yoga on, on a yoga app or, you know, 20 minutes of walking or calling up a friend for 20 minutes, but whatever that is for you that fuels your soul, you have to make time for it because you cannot be the best person, the best caregiver that you need to be for those around you if you are completely depleted all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, it took me a long time to realize that it's okay. I have to be selfish. That it's, I have to be selfish for 20 minutes a day and I have to actually pencil it in my calendar because otherwise I won't do it. Um, I'm a much better parent when I've had my exercise or made an actual lunch instead of grabbing a handful of crackers and calling it good. I'm just a much yeah. better person all around. Um, for both of my kids and my husband and everyone when I take time for myself. Um, so that's, that's great advice. I really, 
hope that people can find the time. I think that's the biggest excuse people make for themselves is I just don't have the time. I'm overwhelmed. I don't have the time. There's always time. You deserve that time. I hope my life represents that because I have eight kids, you know, (laughs) (laughs) from five to 17 and a 16 year old with profound special needs. And just to give an example of what that looks like in my life, my husband and I get up early and we go for a two mile walk together every morning without the kids. Kids will ask, can we come? No, you may not. (laughs) It's just our time to decompress for 30 minutes. And then after dinner, every night I go in my bedroom and I do 20 minutes of yoga by myself. So, and it's just those little, and I do get up early, but it's prioritizing time for myself where I read a little bit and sip my coffee slowly before the kids get up. So, and it's just making good choices for your life. Like you mentioned, you know, making good food choices and making the choice to take care of your body and to exercise because we have to do those things as caregivers or we're not going to have the energy to take care of our kids. Yeah. And even if you don't have, you know, some people might say, well, I don't have a supportive partner that can watch my special needs child for 20 minutes so I can go into a room and do yoga by myself. They'll be screaming and carrying on and all of that. Then there has to be a time when they go to bed. If they don't sleep, if they're not a sleeper, there's plenty of kids who refuse to sleep at night. There's got to be a time that they can be, you know, placed somewhere safe that is 20 minutes. And even if they're, you know, a room away from you and you have a baby monitor on or whatever, you just have to separate yourself, you know, start with five minutes and then see how that goes. And then add another five minutes and see how that goes. Maybe you don't start with 20 minutes, but just, you know, like you said too, wake up earlier. If they do crash eventually for an hour, you know, I know you're exhausted, but (laughs) if that's the only time that you can just walk around the block, and just clear your head and come back, you know. And we've had to take some drastic measures to make things like that a priority in our life as well. I mean, we do have the baby monitors everywhere where we can watch Lucas. <laughs> Lucas has a safety bed that he can go in if we need, you know, 30 minutes, a 30 minute time block where we know he's safe and he has a TV he can watch and he has his iPad. So it it is it's going back again to being honest and vulnerable with people about struggles in your life. And maybe some people need to gather around you and help make those things happen in your life. Or you need to allow somebody to come and watch your child for a couple minutes so that you can take that rest. But we need to start opening our mouths to being truthful about what we need. Asking for help. I'm, yeah. I'm a huge believer that I find, once I finally opened my mouth and said, I, I need help. I cannot do this by myself. We don't have any family here. If my husband's out of town for work and I'm overwhelmed, I, I need I need help. I need some respite worker. I need somebody sometime mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, you know, I never wanted to look needy and I never wanted to look like I didn't have it all together and I couldn't handle it. So I never asked for help. And I'm, you know, <laughs> so glad I'm over that. <laughs> just like, yeah. I need help. <laughs> I think people are happy to help. They just don't know how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to, um, if anyone uh, has any questions, they can for sure email me um, or I'm going to put your contact information that you, that you give me up as well um, about the safety beds. We have a a safety bed and ours I think is a little different than what you have, but if, if someone is not familiar with how to do that or where to get those or how to build one, um, you know, please reach out. That has been the best thing for us. And, you know, as you said, with total transparency, I mean, I even describe it in the book. So I'm a pretty open book when it comes to these types of things, but we cannot 
and never could leave Skylar alone unattended in a room. We tried a mattress on the floor first when he was really little and he was up all night and woke up with a, a huge goose egg on his head because he had run into something in the dark and all of that. So our, um, we have a Dutch door on a bed for him with the top part of it missing and we have um, two bolted locks on it and we have to lock him in there at night but it's completely open it's a huge fort um, with tons of pillows and he loves it in there and he gets a good night's sleep in there most of the time um, but you know I felt so horrible for so long about having a bed with locks on it I'm like oh my god CPS is going to get called and all of that, right. but I mean, oh, we've gotten not, a lot of misunderstanding, <laughs> and we've it, people have asked, "Why is your kid in a cage?" And I'm like, "It's not a cage; it's a six thousand dollar bed that his insurance company approved for his safety. Uh -huh. Like, we need this." And my husband even constructed because we didn't want just the bed, so he has his bedroom with a safety bed, and then we we made like a sensory area outside of his room with like a huge picket fence that he can't get out of for safety again because kids like lucas they can't just roam around your house that's what people don't don't understand is mm -hmm. if he were to just roam around my house the house would be destroyed and he would be pulling people's hair and screaming all done all done because he wants the confines of his yeah of his area that's how he feels safe so we have this whole sensory area and his bedroom that he can like roam back and forth and explore things and he doesn't even want to explore. He just wants his iPad and his chair. And these kids are most comfortable when they're in their familiar environment doing what mm -hmm. they want to do. But again, it's being honest about that and saying, this isn't a cage. This is how my child feels comfortable and safe. And to give them the whole house to roam about in, they don't feel safe at all. In fact, they, they feel frantic almost and can't wait to get back to the safe confines of their area. Yeah, there's too much sensory overload in a lot of cases. Um, right. You know, when they're just able to roam freely and busy hands, man, Skylar's <laughs> the same way. I just worry that he'll turn the burners on on the stove, just walk by and turn them on and not really know the consequences of that and burn himself, burn our house down. I mean, it's for all of our safety, especially his. Um, but he's only in there at night and, and he sleeps very soundly. And like you said, um, it's a huge area and it's, I padded the walls with like foam and felt material. And so when he bangs, he doesn't hurt himself and all of that. We even took a room in our house when he was younger and just filled it with ball pit balls because he didn't like to get in the actual ball pit. It, he, I don't know why he just didn't like to be encased in that. So we just went, okay. So we dumped all the balls out and I bought like 5,000 of the balls and we <laughs> filled the room and he would just walk through and just keep walking back and forth kicking them and rubbing his feet on the carpet you know through the balls right oh my gosh I'm like I don't care I don't care what happens in my house at this point as long as he is you know it satisfies that itch that he has to like touch things and get in things so right it worked for a while <laughs> oh that's awesome and yeah, yeah I like going back more people need to talk about these safety beds so when you know the general public does see a picture of a child in a safety bed they're not like oh, you're, why is that parent keeping their kid in a cage <laughs> it's like it's not a cage it's a safety bed <laughs> well and the sad thing is is the the people who were in the news i don't know a few years ago or whatever that were locking up their kids that they were 
fostering or that they adopted and they weren't feeding them. And those are cages. <laughs> that is right, not exactly. what we're talking about. That is nothing like what we're talking about. So if anyone that doesn't have a special needs child that's listening, please, <laughs> I welcome you to come to my home and see it. And that, that's not what I'm talking about. No, it's, it's a like very, that. yeah, like I said, a $6,000 bed that insurance approved for his safety. That's but cool yeah, that insurance it, paid for that. I mean, I didn't realize maybe some of them do and some of them still don't, but I didn't know that that was something that they would even look at. Yeah, they did for it. us. Um, but oh, that's cool. I mean, all the documentation proved he needed it. His, mm -hmm. The garage door was right outside his bedroom and he figured out how to open that. And it was like, we need some, some way to keep him safe at night. Like we, we're not going to stay awake all night long with our eyes glued to the baby monitor, you know, right beside our bedside. And so, yeah, it was approved and we were extremely thankful. Fantastic. Well, I have so appreciated talking to you. And I, like you said, I know your life is quite busy uh, going on, but um, yeah, I will link up um, your podcast, Coffee with Caregivers. And I will also put a link to your book, it's Sunlight Burning at Midnight, correct? That's correct. Okay, yeah. let me make sure I didn't say that wrong. Sunlight Burning at Midnight, it's a phenomenal book. I encourage everyone to pick it up and read it. If you have not yet, um, like I said, I will put the link so that you can easily order it um, and, and get that right away and read it. Sounds good. So thanks so much, Jess, I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. All right, take care. Yep, you too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.